We are in a great series called The Light Has Come. We've been looking at a passage of scripture in the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, starting at verse 6. We're going to go ahead and jump into the word today. Uh, It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now those names given to our Savior are absolutely powerful if you think about it. He is our Wonderful Counselor. He is our Mighty God. He is our Everlasting Father. And he absolutely is the Prince of Peace in our lives. Amen? He absolutely is. Today I want to talk to you though about how God is our everlasting Father. He is our everlasting Father. You know, you have a Father in heaven that is absolutely, passionately in love with you. You've got a Father in heaven that's constantly looking out for you. You've got a Father in heaven who is constantly going to battle for you. You've got a Father in heaven that loves you with all of his heart. He really does. I wanted to take a quick poll this morning um, before we got too far into the message. Um, Just on a scale of 1 to 10, On a scale of 1 to 10 this morning, if you had to rate your walk with God and your relationship with God and how much time you spend in prayer and how much time you spend reading the Word of God or reading the Bible, if you had to rate on a scale of 1 to 10, like how how you served God with your life and served Him in ministry and and how you we're living a life of generosity to others and, and giving. If you had to rate on a scale of 1 to 10, all of that that encompasses your relationship and walk with God, where would you put it? Just right now, just think. There's a number out there probably with you. It's either 1 or somewhere between 1 and 10. Where would you put yourself? Where would you rate yourself? I know where I would rate myself. I got good news for you today, though. Regardless of where you would rate yourself in your walk with God, I got news for you. All right? It doesn't affect one bit how much God loves you. I'm going to say it again. No matter how you would rate yourself in it, it doesn't affect how much God loves you. Not one bit. And I'll show you in John chapter 3, verse 16, there's a passage of Scripture. It goes like this. It goes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that we celebrate in this Christmas season, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world while the world was lost in sin. God loved you while you were lost in sin. While you were spiritually dead, while you had no hope, while you had no interest at all in serving him, he was just as much in love with you then as he is today. And there's not one thing you can do to earn the love of God or make him appreciate you any more than he already does. Because he proved it by giving everything that he possibly could in his son Jesus to set you free from sin. He loved you in the beginning and he loves you right now. And I think sometimes we get kind of a a warped view of God and how he interacts with us and his heart towards us as a father. Because sometimes in church world, we feel like we have to earn that relational status with God. You know, we feel like we have to do that. And, And there's not one thing that we can do to earn 
God's love towards us. I think sometimes we have um, kind of a legalistic and works-based view on our walk with God. And I know, um, I know a lot of people do because some of you right now are kind of squirming because you're incredibly uncomfortable with the fact that I just said there's nothing you can do to earn the love of God or make him love you any more than he does right now. Because when you think about your relationship with God, you think about hoops you have to jump through. You think about requirements that you have to meet. You think about things that you have to do. And, and your whole approach is earning and, 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 and somehow getting to the place where you can be in a place where God would appreciate you more because of the effort that you're putting into your walk with God. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you can't operate in a level of blessing um, by living in obedience that you wouldn't operate in by being disobedient. Obedience always unlocks the blessing of God in your life. But I'm saying you can't do anything to earn that love that he's already freely given to you. You can't do one thing to earn it. And there's a misconception there in a, in a lot of worlds. You know, people that think that way, they don't realize. There was a group of people back in Scripture that used to think that way too, and they were called Pharisees. And they were all about requirements, and they were all about the legalistic hoops that had to be jumped through. And when Jesus hit the scene, he destroyed all of that philosophy. When Jesus hit the scene, he introduced a new way to approach our relationship with God. He says it's not about the hoops. It's not about the this and that and the do's and the don'ts. It's about having a relationship with me. A lot of times we think that if we do the things, that it creates a stronger relationship with God in our lives, and it's backwards. It's not biblically accurate. And what Jesus came to say was that if you will accept me and have a relationship with me, then out of that relationship that you have with me, I'll birth the desire to do the right things in your life. And I'll change you from the inside out. And you won't have to constantly be forcing yourself to do this or to do that. You won't have to constantly be wrestling with areas of sin in your life. If you'll just draw into me and accept my love and let me work on the inside of your heart, I'll change you from the inside out. That was his whole approach coming in. And I think sometimes we, we miss that and we miss God's whole heart towards us. He's not a God that makes us jump through hoops. He's a God that has approached us with love and grace and forgiveness and given us the opportunity to change in our lives out of that relationship with him. It's in Christ that we have victory. It's in Christ that we're a new creation. Not our own works, but it's in Christ, that relationship with him, that we become that new creation, and the old is gone and the new has come. And I think that one of the most successful schemes of the devil is to, to cause a misunderstanding of who God is and his motive towards us. God is a God that has a father's heart towards us as his children. I hate when I get misunderstood. I hate it. I hate it. Like I'm always saying things wrong and sometimes I do things without thinking things through and sometimes like I don't know if it happens but y'all like my motives get misinterpreted sometimes and I like wish I could sit down and re-explain why I said what I said you know you ever have that like you, yeah. you want to say something but somewhere between here and here it just blah, 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 blah. it just comes out wrong yeah. yeah so I was um a long time ago long long time ago I was in I lived in Dallas Texas and I was in this program for ministry training called Master's Commission and uh, it's a really powerful discipleship and ministry training program. And one of the first days that we were there, they thought they'd just kind of shake the boat a little bit and throw us out there and see if we would sink or swim. 
And the, uh, the director of the program called us all together, and he said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the next hour, and then I'm going to split you guys up into teams, and you're going to go out to different, different places in the Dallas Metroplex, and you're going to pray for people, you're going to witness, and you're going to see what God does through you. And here's the deal. You're going to have to lead three people to the Lord or see two miracles take place, and you can't come back home. Oh, really? So we prayed pretty hard. We were like praying, seeking the face of God. Now, that's, that's pretty hardcore, isn't it? You know, that's how we're supposed to live our everyday lives, though, as children of God, getting in his presence and rocking the world. So we, we, we prayed and we went out. And uh, the team that I was with, we went to this, uh, went to this mall in the Dallas area. And uh, we, we went in and, and we were praying for people. And, man, we saw people get healed. We saw people jump out of wheelchairs in the mall. We saw people get saved in the mall. It was amazing to see what God was doing. And then after seeing all of that happen, we hit our list and we were able to come back home. We met all our goals. So we got back in the van or got back in the, in the car to get ready to go home, and then we realized none of us remembered how to get back to the church. Because this was before GPS, and this is before you could hop on Google and go, tell me how to get where I'm going. It was the day of open up map, try to find out where you're going, you know. And we're a, oh, like a bunch of late teens, early 20-somethings, you know, and we just hopped in the car and found a place, and we couldn't remember how to get back to the interstate. So we were stuck. So I was like, I know what I'll do. We'll just ask somebody, and we'll get some directions, you know? Because that's what you'd do back then. You, you go and you'd ask directions, and hopefully you wouldn't get that old guy that say, yeah, here's what you got to do. You're going to have to go out there to the fork in the road and go down there about a mile or two, and then you remember, uh, go down there to where the Johnson barn used to be and turn left. You know, you don't want to get that guy that will give you directions. So I was, I got out of the car, and I thought, I'll just be point man. I'll figure this out. So I got out of the car, and just as I got out of my car, this big 15-passenger van pulled in a couple of parking spots down from us, and I thought, well, this is going to be awesome. Van full of people. Somebody in there's got to know how to get back to the interstate, you know, give us directions to get back home. So I walk over there, and these people start filing out. Big group, you know, like seven or eight people get out of the van. The driver's still in the van, and I walk up to them. And I'm like, hey, listen, I hate to bother you, but I don't know my way around this area, and I'm trying to get back to Interstate 35 so we can find our way back to the church. Can you tell us how to get back to the interstate? And these people are just staring at me. And so I thought, well, maybe they didn't understand me. So I'm, like, I'm trying to figure out how to get back to the end. And before I could finish my sentence, they all just went, And then they started sign language into me. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Of all the people in the Dallas Metroplex, I pick a van full of deaf people to try to get directions from. This could only happen in my life, you know. So I was like, oh, my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. So I was like, all right, all right, all right. And so I go to say okay to them. So I go, Okay is what I'm thinking in my brain that I'm doing, but I'm kind of turning as I go. And for some reason, I didn't go okay like this. When I'm turning, I go okay like this. <laughs> See, y'all are laughing because y'all know what that is in sign language. Now, I'm not going to say what it means because we're in church, but let's just say it represents the rear area 
in, 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 a, in a correct way. So I was calling them, I'll just say butthole, because you can say butthole in church, right? It wasn't what I was calling them, but that's the PG version of what I was calling them. So I didn't realize that, so I just went bam to a bunch of deaf people. Didn't even realize it, so I go back to get into the car, and one of the ladies in the car was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, did what? What are you talking about? She goes, you don't know what you just did? I'm like, no, you just called them all a bunch of... No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. So I was like, I got to fix it. So I get ready. I hop back out of the car to fix it. But they'd already gone into the mall by then. And I was like, I'm not going to chase them down. I mean, I'd like to explain, but I'm not going to make a big scene out of it. So I had to get back in the car. And I felt like, like it totally, totally did not come across the way that I wanted it to. And they're like misunderstanding the whole situation. I'm like, man, this just stinks to get misunderstood. So this Christmas, while you're with family... If they start talking about, you know, they start talking about God and they start talking about church and they start talking about how awesome their church is and how awesome their pastor is, just say, hey, that's cool. Listen about my pastor. My pastor once cussed out a bunch of deaf people in a parking lot of a mall with sign language. You know, that's just, so that's, I hate being misunderstood, though. And I think a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can misunderstand God's heart towards us as our Father. I think that's probably one of the most misunderstood attributes of who He is. He's our Father. He's our Father. Now, that probably brings up a lot of different emotions and memories and connections in this room. Because if you had a great Father, then you're saying, yes, God is an awesome God, and He's an awesome Father. But if you had a dad that wasn't so great, Maybe you don't have a good point of reference for that, you know. Um, maybe you had a dad that was abusive to you. Maybe you had a dad that left you and walked out. Maybe you had a dad that you never knew. You had a dad that was never there, you know. Um, I'm here to tell you this morning, our Heavenly Father is not like that. Our Heavenly Father is not like that. There was a governor of Tennessee whose name was Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper was governor of Tennessee in the early 1900s. So he grew up in the late 1800s. And he had a really rough childhood, though. Um, ben didn't know who his dad was. And he remembers, like in a book that he wrote, he, he recounts how he heard his grandmother one time ask his mom if she ever figured out who his dad was. And he heard his mom say, no, we don't have any idea who his dad is. So... His mom kind of lived a, a wild lifestyle. Didn't know who his dad was. She had a child out of wedlock. Now, if you lived in that time and had a child out of wedlock, you were a social outcast. People didn't want anything to do with you, you know. So Ben grew up with his mom as social outcast, not accepted by anybody. Rumored, talked about, and all that stuff. Um, when he would go to school, he'd get picked on by other students. They'd make fun of him. He wasn't accepted in any social groups. And a lot of times when they would go out for recess, Ben would stay in the classroom and just read because he didn't want to get picked on. He didn't want to get made fun of, and he didn't want to get beat up. And that was his life. No idea who his dad was. And one day, he heard some people talking about a new preacher and pastor who had come to the church in town. And at about eight years old, Ben decided... 
I'm just going to go to church and check it out and see what it's all about. So he got permission from his mom, and he walked to the church by himself to go to church. His mom wouldn't go because she didn't want to deal with the gossip. She didn't want to deal with the cold shoulders. You know, it's a shame when people can't feel accepted and loved in church. You know, and I want to tell you, anybody that walks through the doors of this church is going to know what it's like to be loved and accepted and have the opportunity for God to move in their lives. You know, so he went to the service and he figured out this strategy. He would he he went for several weeks, figured out the strategy. He's like, I'll go in after service is started, so I won't have to talk to anybody. And then at the closing prayer, he'd get up and he'd walk out so he wouldn't have to deal with anybody. So he'd sneak in and sneak out, sneak in and sneak out. Some of y'all do that here too, I've noticed, little sneakers, <laughs> sneaking in and sneaking out. So, so he would do that so he wouldn't have to, to talk to anybody, so he could just avoid the awkward social situation. And then one Sunday, it was time for the closing prayer, and he was waiting for his moment to get up and leave, and he felt a, a hand on his shoulder. And he turned around, and it was the pastor of the church. And Ben said it scared him to death. He turns around, and boom, there's the preacher right there, you know. And in front of the entire church, the pastor says this. He says, whose boy are you? I see you come in, and I see you go out. Whose boy are you? And Ben Hooper said he was absolutely paralyzed in fear. The whole church is watching this take place. And then the pastor says, Ah, I know who you are. I know whose child you are. Because the family resemblance is undeniable. He said, You are a child of God. And God in heaven is your heavenly Father. That's quite an inheritance to have. And that's something to be proud of. And he fixed the situation in front of the entire church. And it would be decades later that Ben Hooper would be elected governor of the state of Tennessee. But in his book, Ben said this. He said, I became the governor on that day. Because I finally understood that I belonged and that my father in heaven was a father to me, and I belonged to him, and I had an inheritance with him. I'm here to tell you, church, you are a child of God, and the family resemblance in you is undeniable. And everyone in here that's a child of God has a great inheritance in store for them. And that's something to be proud of. I don't want anyone in here to feel like you don't belong or that you're less than or that you're cast out because we have a Father in heaven that has accepted every one of us and brought us in as his children with all the rights and privileges tied to it. That ought to change how we live our lives. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. Now that comes first because it's one thing to believe that you're a child of God, but you're not a child of God if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's got to come first. 
You have to receive him as your Lord and Savior in order to be adopted into the family of God. The good news is that today, if you're here and that hasn't happened, we can take care of that before you leave today. Because God loves you just where you are right now. He loves you just as much now as he did 2,000 years ago when he sent his son to die for you. But we're all children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16 say this. It says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That word, Abba, Father, those words right there are so powerful to me because for forever forever in the old testament people wouldn't even speak the name of god because of the reverence and the fear that went along with it that same god that is so powerful that so that same god that is omnipotent in all of his ways says that we can come to him just like he's our daddy abba father that that word abba is daddy and like the most intimate way that a child could look up into his father's eyes and just say, Daddy. That's how we can approach our father in heaven. Now listen, you might not have had that growing up. But you have a dad in heaven who will never fail you. And he will always be there with you. Amen. God's heart towards us is a heart of a father. And just like a father, his interaction towards us is fatherly. And everything that he does. And everything that he does. Just like a dad, he's faithful and he's attentive to us as his children. He's faithful and attentive to us as his children. In uh, Hebrews chapter 13, it says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, listen to this. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's a powerful promise from our Father in heaven. He will always be faithful to us. He will never turn his back on us. He will always be there to walk through the storms of life, and he'll go ahead of the storms of life to prepare the way for us. He will never turn his back on us. I've had plenty of people walk out of me. I've had plenty of people turn their back on me. But my God has always been faithful, and he has walked with me every step of the way since I became his child. We have a God that's faithful. And he's attentive. He's attentive to us. What does that mean? That's a big word that means he pays attention to us. He is locked on us. He is captivated by every detail of our lives. Do you think about God that way? Every detail of our lives. I've got two little girls. And they're sick today, so y'all be praying for them. They're really, really sick. (laughs) I'll be praying for my little girls. Um, But I've got two of them. And... I notice that they're always wanting to hang out with me. They're always wanting to hang out with Kelly because for little kids, love isn't spelled L-O-V-E like it is with us. It's spelled T-I-M-E. They want time. They want time with mama. They want time with daddy. They want the time. They want the time. They don't care so much about having money. They don't even care about having a home. They don't care about food on the table. They're not even really concerned about clothes that they wear. They don't think about those things and relate that to how we love them. Time is how they know that we love them. 
Your God in heaven has made himself 100% available to you 24-7, 365. Because he wants you to know that he has the time to be with you to let you know that he loves you. He's attentive to every detail of your life. He's always there. If you stop and think about this, at any moment, at any minute of any hour of any day, we can just stop and we can say, Father, and be in the presence of God. And he stops what he's doing and pays attention to what we're saying. The God that spoke all this universe into creation. And he's so awesome that he does that for each and every one of us. He stops and listens to me the same way that he stops and listens to you because he cares about us and wants to make sure that he's available to give us time. He's attentive to every area of our life. And just like a dad, he's our protector and he's our provider. He's our protector and he's our provider. And we talked last week about how God is our, is, is, was a mighty God. But if you missed the message last week, you need to go back and check it out on the podcast, by the way. It, It'll, it'll change your world once you get a, a picture of how God goes to war for us. He's a mighty God, and we looked at what, at what that meant last week when we broke that down, and it said that God was our mighty champion, a mighty champion. He was a, a warrior champion for us, that he would go out and fight our battles for us. Like in the old days when they would pick a champion to represent an army so that the armies wouldn't have to fight each other and have thousands of people die they would pick one person to represent each army and have those people fight on behalf of the army and the nations that they represented that's how God represents us as our champion going before us fighting our battles so that we can operate in victory he's a God that protects us he's a God he's a God that protects us I'm grateful I'm grateful that I've got a God that looks out for me and he's also a provider he's a provider and more ways than just money. And I'm thinking about my dad. All through my life, my dad has been a great provider for us. He's been a great provider for our family. I remember my dad working at a sawmill, coming home exhausted and, and dirty as a, as a young kid. I remember my dad working at a trailer plant, building trailers. And I remember my dad saying, this isn't going to be enough. And I remember him going back to school. For a couple of years, getting the training that he needed to become an aircraft maintenance engineer so that he could provide for us better. Getting the jobs and doing what he's had. He's always advanced and always put in the work. He's always put in the time to be good at what he does so he could provide for us as his family. And right now, my dad is like in the top 1% in the world in his field. He's good at what he does. He's really good at what he does. But his motivation and all of that is to be able to provide for his family. And he provided in more ways than one, not just in, in, in putting food on the table, but he was always there to provide the time that we needed and the counsel that we needed. He was always there. Listen, your father in heaven is a provider for you. He's a provider for you. He's put in the work. He's put in the time to make sure that you're not lacking in anything in life. Jesus said that he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. He even said that if you put him first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that he would provide all of the things that we, we work so hard to try to get in life, that he would make sure that those things line up because he is a provider for us. 
And then he's provided us so many spiritual things. If you think about it, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, and the self-control that he provides for us through our relationship with him and his Spirit at work inside of us. It's just amazing when you think about all the things that he does to provide for us because he loves us. We have a Father in heaven that loves us today. Amen? So he provides. And the third thing he does is he, he trains and he, dis, he disciplines. I'm not so excited about this one. He trains and he disciplines. You know, when I think back and I think about all the times that my dad disciplined me, I can't think of one time that I was disciplined as a kid that I enjoyed. Can you? Like, I really can't. Like, my dad had this way of when, when he, would, he would take off his belt to get ready to enforce the law at the house, he'd get that belt to pop on every loop of his blue jeans when he pulled it off, and it'd be like, pow, and it was ready, and it would just scare the mess out of you as a kid, you know? But he was, I don't know if he practiced that because he was just that sadistic or it just came natural to him, I don't know. But whether I was getting spanked or getting the belt or whether I was getting grounded or I was losing privileges for whatever reason because I didn't follow the rules, he, he was always there to correct me along the way, and I didn't enjoy it one time. There was one time I went on the street where I didn't want to cut the grass. I'll, I'll tell you guys, I didn't want to cut the grass, you know. His push mower, and the push mower weighed like 800 pounds, I thought. And so I get out there and cut the grass, and we had more grass than people should be able to have at a house that was the size that we had. And so I get out there with a the push mower, and it'd take a, a few hours of push mowing to cut the grasses as a teenager. And I thought, I hate this. I bet if I put water in the gas tank, that mower won't crank. So that's what I did. So I put water in the gas tank, fired it up, and it ran for a little bit, and then it was gone. Like, ah, oh, Dad, I tried to cut the grass, but the lawnmower won't run. Really? Let me get out there, and he go out there and try to fix it. So I did that a couple of times. And then I thought, I'm going to have to change my game. He's going to catch on to this. So the pull string that started the motor, I thought, well, if I can cut that, then that thing isn't going to start. So I sabotaged the push mower, cut the string so I wouldn't have to do it. And Dad finally figured out what was going on. So he said, okay, you don't want to cut the grass. You don't want to use a lawnmower. Let's see you cut the grass this way. So he gave me a pair of scissors. So dad had me out there cutting the yard with a pair of scissors, which seemed, for, it seemed like it was forever. He just let me go. Cut, 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 cut. And he'd come out and make sure I was still doing it, cutting grass with scissors, cutting grass with scissors, you know. And then um, finally he made me stop and call me back to the house. And he goes, now which way would you rather do it? With scissors or with a push mower? With a push mower. Absolutely with a push mower. You know, here you go. Gave me the push mower. I never, ever complained about cutting the grass with a push mower ever again after that. He always provided correction for me. I didn't enjoy it, but I know that it benefited me. And it benefited me in my life. And I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today if my dad hadn't taken the time to correct me. You know, you guys probably the same way too, right? You know, if your parents hadn't corrected us, can you imagine how crazy we would have turned out. Some of y'all are crazy anyway. Can you imagine how crazy y'all be if your parents hadn't tried to keep you in line growing up? Um, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 
talks about this correction that God gives us. It says, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. I think it's really important for us to realize that when God disciplines us and corrects us, he's doing it out of a motivation of love. He's doing it because he loves us. Not because he's a God in heaven that had a bad day and he's trying to find somebody to take it out on. You know, some of us have had parents that took out the bad day and the work week on us as a kid and we got memories of that. God doesn't do that to us. Anytime he corrects, anytime he disciplines, anytime he tries to bring in training into our lives, he's doing it from a motivation of love. And when I think about how I, like when I have to discipline my children, like as a parent, I hate it. I hate it. I don't enjoy disciplining my kids. I don't enjoy having to correct my kids. I'd rather us all just run around and be happy and watch Disney movies and eat popcorn and talk about God and all this stuff. I wish my kids would not lose their God-blessed minds like they do sometimes. And then we have to come in and bring correction into their lives. But they're kids, and guess what? They're going to lose their God-blessed minds sometimes, and I'm going to have to come in and bring correction into their lives. And I don't like doing it because I love them. But I love them too much to not do it. And I know sometimes me making it not fun and me having to bring that discipline in and, and take their toys away because I leave them out. You can't play with this for a week now because you left it out and you didn't put it up. Or maybe I have to give them a, a pad on the rear end because they stepped out of line, you know, to bring that correction. I know me loving them enough to do that now is going to save them heartache and trouble later on in life because we live in a world that's got rules and laws, and there are results for the decisions and the actions that we make. There's consequences out there, and if we choose wisely, we reap the benefit of wise choices, but if we, if we make bad choices, then we reap the benefit of that too, and I want my kids to be in a place where they make the wisest choice that they can, and I know that that isn't going to happen unless I correct them. And it's got to happen out of a motive of love. Hebrews 12, verse 9, a little bit further down in the same chapter, it says this, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us, listen to this now, for our good. So not only is his motive towards us love, but everything that he does for us to correct and discipline us and train us is for our good to benefit us in our lives in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Amen. I know that's right, but painful. Later on, however, it produces the harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. How many of you would like to say today, I want a harvest of righteousness and peace in my life? Peace in your life? Are you? Yeah, where do I sign up to make sure that i got peace in my life? Peace is a byproduct of good decisions. Now, sometimes life happens, but, but, but God's whole motive is love to draw us closer to him so we reflect his holiness so that we can see a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives. Now, a lot of times we think when God's disciplining us, we think thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. 
it. We think, oh, all this crazy stuff busted loose in our lives. Like, yeah, I did. I can't believe I just did that. They would think all this crazy stuff is ha- what happened in our lives. Oh, I forgot to pay my tithes this morning. That means my transmission is probably going to blow up before I get to work on Monday, you know. Or, or we think that, um, you know, I haven't prayed more than five minutes a day because I had to get up. Early. I think now I know I'm probably going to get chicken pox. You know, we were talking about chicken pox this morning over there, and God's just going to strike us down with pestilence and plagues and diseases and all this stuff. And, and I'm not saying that, that if we're stubborn for long enough that he won't do what's necessary to get us in, the, in a corner so he can get our attention because God's really good at doing that sometimes. But I'm, not, I'm saying this, he's not going to always go Old Testament on you. He's not going to always... Just open up the box of how I can make, make your life miserable and dump it out all over you and your family. That's not really how God disciplines us and corrects us most of the time. Most of the time, it's through the conviction of his Holy Spirit working in our lives. It's him speaking to us in our time of prayer. And he comes to us and he says with that gentle voice, Hey, 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 hey. I've got a plan for you. And I've got a calling on your life. And here's the deal. You're not going to be able to get where, you, where I want you to be in your life without getting control of that anger and that rage that's inside of you. So we're going to need to bring some correction to this. And you need to let me train you to release that so that I can heal, so that I can restore, so that that won't hinder you from doing what I've called you to do. I've got great plans for ministry in your life, but you're never going to be able to see that fulfilled as long as you're addicted to porn. And so he'll put his finger on that and say, hey, and the conviction of the Holy... You know, there's a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy. And God will put his finger on something and say, hey, 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 hey. It's time. It's time. Let's, let's just... He'll take that little scalpel and just... It's time to cut that little bit out. It's time to take that out so that you can become more effective in what I've called you to do. More often than not, that's how he's going to correct More often than not, that's how he's going to train out of his word from people like me preaching the word to you, from a leader in ministry speaking the word of God over you or holding you accountable. It's going to come from that. It's not going to be the skies are going to split and a lightning bolt's going to come down. He's going to light your rear end on fire because you... Maybe he could do that. I pay $5 to see that happen. I think that'd be pretty cool. But that's really not how he interacts with us. He convicts us out of a motivation of love to see change happen in our lives. And that's the, the last thing I want to talk about today. How we know God's a father and how he interacts with us is he loves us. He loves us. God is passionately in love with every person that's in this room. Every person that's in this room. Without exception, he loves each and every one of us. How do you know he loves me? Because he's already proved that he loved us. You know, sometimes when I say I love somebody, or, you know, people in general, we say, yeah, we, we, we love somebody or we'll do something for somebody. We're real good at saying words, but when it comes time to back the words up with action to prove what we said is true, we fall short on that a lot. You know, how many of y'all had people make promises to you they didn't fall through on? How many people, yeah, you've had people say that they loved you. Where are they? They're not in your life anymore, you know? What I love about God, what I love about his heart towards us is that he proved it first and then he said it. He proved it first and then he said it. The Bible says that the 
the Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. Before man was even created, God had a plan of redemption in place because of his heart and his love towards us. There's two words that I want you to think about as we're closing this morning. One's mercy and one's grace. One's mercy and one's grace. I want to put these definitions up on the screen for you. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve. Grace means He gives us what we don't deserve. Each and every one of us deserve the wrath and punishment of God in our lives because of the sin in our lives. Each and every one of us deserve to go to hell because of the sin that's in our lives. But because of His mercy, we don't get what we deserve. His grace gives us a lot of stuff that we don't deserve. All of that sin, all of that failure went on Jesus at the cross. All of our mistakes, anything that would have separated us from the heart and the love of God, went on our Savior at that cross. And He took it all on Himself. And we get, in return... A lot of things that we don't deserve. We get His forgiveness. We get that mercy. We get freedom from sin in our lives. We get freedom from bondage. Freedom from issues. We get the love, the joy, the peace. All the gifts that we get. We get so many things that we don't deserve. What I appreciate about my Father in Heaven is that He did it first. And then He talked about it. His heart towards us today is a heart of an everlasting father. Our daddy. Our daddy in heaven. Our daddy in heaven. And my girls are sick right now. And it kind of reminded me of this story. Because we're kind of dealing with this in our our house. Right now with the kids throwing up and other things happening. I I remember when Abby wasn't too terribly old. she She was old enough to talk. But she wasn't like really... Well, she's three now, so I don't guess she, maybe maybe uh, knocking on two. I was watching her for the day, and she hadn't been feeling good. And Kelly was at work doing something, and I went in to get her up from a nap, and I opened the door to go into her room, and I just remember getting hit by this smell, this god awful smell. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I opened this door. I get hit by this smell, and I look over, and I see my little girl who's awake in a crib, and uh, she's just covered. She's just covered in poop. She had had diarrhea, and she had just messed all over herself. And when I walked in, she was in the process of trying to clean herself up and change herself. So she had her outfit half off, you know, and she was trying. But in the process of doing all that, she had just got poop all over her poop all over the bed and I'm there looking at my little girl and uh, she looks up at me with this little voice and she just goes daddy I hold you that's what she would say she still says it some now like she won't say I want you to hold me she'll say I hold you and that's, that's what she was saying and uh, I thought oh no it's about to get real we're about to find out what kind of what kind of iron stomach I've got. So I walk over to her, and 
I go to, and pick her up. She's reaching out for me, and I pick her up. And the plan is I'm going to get her from here to the bathtub as fast as I can. Because that's what you do. You get them in the tub, and then you figure it out later. You know, get them in a safe place, and you deal with all the damage. So I'm going to take her to the, the bathtub. And I've got her, and I'm going to hold her out like this. And I'm walking over towards the bathroom. And then she tries to lean in towards me. And she reaches out just to try to hug on me. And I'm thinking, if I reject her right now, I'm going to emotionally scar this kid. She's going to think Daddy doesn't love her, you know. So I stop at the door of the bathroom, and I just let her hug me. And I just bring her in, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this is just so gross. I'm going to have to wash my clothes. This stuff is getting all over me right now. Yeah, it's just nasty. Just nasty. It's all over her, and now it's all over me, and I'm just in there holding my little girl. And I remember God speaking to me. It's changed my life when he did this. I love when God just takes these little moments and speaks to us, you know. Oh, that little girl just covered in this filth, and now it's all over me. God spoke to me, and he said, this right here is how I love you. I found you covered in filth, trying to fix it yourself, not able to do it. I picked you up and all of your sin, all of the junk, and I brought you to myself. I cleaned you and I restored you from the inside out. And if that doesn't reflect the heart of a father, I don't know what does. I'm here to tell you today, God loves you. And God is not content to leave you where you are in your life. He loves you where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you where you are. He'll clean you up from the inside out if you'll let him today. Because he's an everlasting father. He's our daddy. Who does all these wonderful things for us. But at the end of the day, he's a God. He's a father that loves us. And is not intimidated by any of the issues or the problems or the sin in our lives. He'll swoop right in and pick us up. And get the dirt on himself to clean us up. Bow your heads and close your eyes.